Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. An asset class that has grown at about 20%. When people start talking about recession in the mainstream media. The real problem we have with the Fed is that they are equal parts voodoo and wishful thinking. I geek out on this conversation. These are not normal market conditions that we're typically used to. My name is Stuart Foley and I'll be your host. We've got a good one for you today. We're talking about gold an asset class that's often misunderstood with Max Gold, the head of gold strategies at State Street Global Advisors. Max, thanks for being on. Yeah, it's great to be here, Stuart. We're thrilled to have you. It is a, an asset class that has its own name for people who invest in it, right? Gold bugs and gold, you know, all these names. And I've always been fascinated by this asset class and I've never, ever had the chance to talk to somebody who's really, really a learned professional, and I'm thrilled to have you on today. But before we get going there, let me ask you the questions that we ask everyone, which is, where did you grow up? What was your first job of any kind? Not the fancy one, Max, the one that's humbling. And a fun fact. Yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey. So I'm a Northeast uh, guy through and through my whole life. I went to school upstate New York, lived and worked in Boston for a while before settling here right now in the New York area. So that's you know, really my, my path in terms of geography. In terms of my career, you know, my first real job was with JP Morgan, working in their private bank in the finance industry. But you know, before that, you know, my actual real job, I worked as a cashier at a small local grocery store. So you know, learning about sales, revenues, how to work the cash register was really uh, the first summer job I had when I was in high school. Outstanding. What's the fun fact? The fun fact for me is that, yes, my name is Max Gold and I am the head of gold strategy. But beyond that, you know, I, I do take a, a look at markets from more of a global holistic standpoint. And, you know, I think to add on top of that, you know, I'm a diehard Yankee fan, New York Yankee fan, love baseball, have my whole life. I played, you know, when I was in high school, I followed that, you know, the start of the season recently uh, very closely and look forward to that. That's fantastic. I Before we hit the record button, I said, can I call this podcast gold on gold? And you said, I'd love to tell you that you're the first one that ever came up with. I thought it was really creative, Max, but, but not so much. Right. So let's go with some questions here. I think gold's an often misunderstood asset class as to how it's going to perform and how it's going to behave. Just kind of at a high level, what drives the gold market? Yeah, I think that's a great starting point because when you're talking about gold, can be a very polarizing asset. You know, a lot of people either love it, a lot of people hate it. And there's, I think, much more room in that middle ground of what drives it from a market standpoint and then really how to utilize it from an investment standpoint. And really, when you're talking about gold, you know, what drives the gold market, I like to take a step back and then really think through, you know, what are the big drivers over different periods or different horizons? When you're talking about gold, in the short term, I think there's some key indicators of what drives the market uh, in terms of the price. Over the medium term, I think there's a separate set of factors. And over the long term, those are really the long-term drivers that help set the directionally, the floor and the ceiling in terms of the outlook for the gold market over a strategic long-term period, you know, 10 plus years, if not longer. And really when you break down those factors, you know, that really within that realm of are you looking short-term tactical, medium-term, strategic, or even longer-term, you know, strategic asset positioning, it really depends on that that time horizon that you want to evaluate of what the important drivers for gold are. And to your point, there are a lot of misconceptions, a lot of associations of how gold should perform or how 
would expect it to perform based on history, based on the current market drivers today. But you're really, when you're looking at gold, the market itself, I like to th- break it down as short-term, medium-term, long-term, you know, flows, then factors, then fundamentals are really the most important contributors to what drives gold and the outlook of the market itself. You know, starting with the short-term, you know, flows, I like to look at, you know, what's happening from a investment standpoint, from a technical standpoint, you know, what's happening with positioning amongst futures markets, you know, what are the traders and, you know, in the large uh, markets of, of gold doing uh, what's happening with ETFs and flows in terms of money moving around in the market. And, you know, what's happening more of a technical standpoint, you know, by no means am I a market technician, I'm a more of a um, macro strategist from my background, but, you know, it's important to pay attention on the shorter term technicals, what's happening towards sentiment, the outlook, are investors and, and market participants bullish, bearish for gold in the short term, that can help signal what's going to happen on that short term period for gold on a flow positioning sentiment standpoint. The medium term is really where I spend most of my time evaluating gold markets and the, you know the outlook for the the asset class, and that's really where factors come into play. You know, what are those important explanatory variables that are tied more towards macroeconomics, more towards you know a lot of factors that we talk about from an investment standpoint day by day. And for gold specifically, the important factors that have the biggest explanatory power towards the outlook for gold in my mind include the U.S. dollar interest rates, the overall level of interest rates, as well as the change of interest rates, inflation levels and how they tie towards interest rates as well in that in that standpoint, as well as the overall level of risk in the marketplace. You know, is there a tremendous amount of risk on sentiment, risk off sentiment? You know, as are markets and investors you know, taking on risk assets or are they not? Are they looking for more defensive positioning? That overall risk environment can play an important factor for gold over the medium term alongside with those other factors, including the dollar, interest rates, inflation. So I do think that when you're looking at over medium term, you know, say, you know, there's no hard and fast period, but I think about it more of a one to five year period. Those tend to be those cycles of inflationary cycles, growth cycles, interest rate cycles, they tend to be the more prominent drivers for gold over the medium term. And then shifting to long term, you know, this is where I spend a lot of my time as well evaluating gold market. You know, what are the fundamentals for gold? What's happening on the demand and supply side? And this is traditionally where you would think that, you know, what would drive gold as a commodity would be the biggest important drivers. And it is, especially over the long run. And we do spend a lot of time evaluating what's happening with demand for gold. And the gold market from a demand standpoint is very different, very unique versus other more traditional commodities like copper or oil or natural gas or corn or coffee. You know, when you look at gold, it does sort of stand alone from a fundamental standpoint in terms of its supply demand dynamics. And when you're talking about demand for gold, it's very interesting because the breakdown of demand can be basically summarized in four key sectors of demand for gold every year globally. And that includes uh, jewelry demand for gold, which intuitively makes a lot of sense. When you're thinking about demand for gold for jewelry, it's aesthetic appeal. Obviously, it has a lot of traditional beauty and aesthetics for uh, jewelry manufacturers, fabrications from that standpoint. And interestingly, this tends to catch a lot of people who are less informed of the gold market off guard. When you look at jewelry demand for gold, it accounts on average 40 to 50% of global demand every year. So it is the biggest source of demand for gold globally across developed and emerging markets every single year for gold. So it's, it's critically important what's happening with the jewelry market for gold. Additionally, when you look at those other demand sectors every year for gold, we have technology, industrial demand for gold that averages about 10 to 12% every year. And that tends to be associated most closely with electronics. 
when you think about gold, you tend to think about from an investment prism. But additionally, when you think about gold from a technological application, it is hugely important. It's a great conductor of electricity. It's heat resistant. It's malleable. It's ductile. So it's a great material from a technology and industrial application standpoint that's used in a plethora of different industries. You know, the biggest one, most prominently being the electronics industry as a conductor. So that, that counts for about 10% of demand. And then investment demand, which makes up, you know, the bulk of the conversations that I have. And that you know, averages about 25 to 30% of demand every year. But that's not just, say, ETF demand or flow demand in traditional investment vehicles that are quoted and traded on TV or, or online every day. A large part of that investment demand is actually anchored into retail bar and coin demand. So think of, say, one ounce bars of coins and bars out there. And a lot of that demand is actually concentrated into emerging markets. So think India, China, Southeast Asia, the Middle East. So that tends to be a very sticky source of investment demand, that traditional retail bar and coin demand. On the flip side, we also have investment flows, futures, et cetera, which ties to that as well on the physical side. And then rounding out that demand equation, you know, we have jewelry, technology, investment demand is central bank demand. And this has been a very interesting area of demand that's seen tremendous growth over the last 10 plus years. And we continue to see that even last year where central banks remain net buyers of gold. And in fact, last year in 2022 was the biggest year on record, over a thousand metric tons of gold purchased by central banks globally. And that tends to be an ongoing trend. We remain bullish and supportive of that central banks will remain net buyers of gold, giving further tailwinds towards the outlook for gold. So Again, a very long-winded way to summarize your, your question of how do you think about gold. But again, I think of it from a short-term, medium-term, long-term standpoint, short-term flows, medium-term factors, long-term fundamentals being supply and demand. And especially on the demand side, you know, investment demand, central bank demand, jewelry demand are tremendously important. And so I follow closely different various trends, which impact those different sectors day by day. That's really helpful. And so- we have a number of friends that are CIOs and they've, they've given me a special permission slip to wear a, a CIO hat whenever I'm doing podcasts. So whenever I talk to a guy like you, I've got my insurance CIO hat on, right? And so it gets into what role should gold serve among investment portfolios and specifically insurance investors are the lion's share of our audience with regard to as much insurance a viewpoint as you can sprinkle into that answer? Yeah, I think when you look about what's the potential investment utility or portfolio utility that gold can bring to the table for diversified asset allocations, I do, you know, again, I break it down to sort of three different utilities that gold can serve depending on what you're looking to use it for. The biggest and first and foremost is, is risk management. I think, you know, gold's a core risk management tool for every portfolio, every asset allocation strategy out there. It is a persistently low correlating asset to financial assets, particularly stocks and bonds over time. That low and even negative correlation in certain asset classes, and recently it's persisted over time, over decades plus. So it is a very unique asset class. And again, that low correlation to stocks, bonds, alternative asset classes across the board globally really stems from that fundamental source of demand. So again, I spent some time explaining that because that's really the source of that low investment correlation to global equities, global fixed income asset classes, global real assets, global alternatives. And gold really sort of stands the test of time, or it really is the only asset you know, that I see persistently maintaining that low correlation to risk assets. So I think of gold first and foremost as that source of portfolio diversification, 
and that core risk management tool. It's not really in your portfolio to dial up uh, your return or produce cash flows per se, but it is in, in your portfolio to serve as that ballast, that fulcrum of dialing up and dialing down your overall risk exposure to your portfolio, however that may be constructed. And again, gold is efficient in terms of how it provides diversification. Again, for example, say you have 10% of, of gold in a traditional stock bond portfolio, it's going to actually contribute less than 10% on a risk contribution standpoint. So basically, it takes up less space in your portfolio on your risk weighting than it takes up in your asset allocation weighting space. So you know, long story short, that's not the case for a lot of other diversifying asset classes out there like traditional commodities, real estate, other alternative assets that tend to be viewed in growing attention in, in periods of high volatility or recession or slowdown. Uh, so I do think that now is a great time to be looking at those asset classes. But I think gold, when you compare it head to head, stands uh, very differently. So core risk management tools, how I think about gold as a source of portfolio uh, diversification, improving your sharp ratio, reducing your portfolio volatility, potentially improving your portfolio return is sort of the, the first and foremost starting point. Now, beyond that, and I think especially for insurance investors, insurance, insurance portfolio managers, important aspect of gold that's often overlooked is its ability to serve as a capital preservation tool. And often gold is used as sort of a inflation hedge. You know, really, I think that's a, a little bit too simplified response in terms of evaluating gold. Great gold, it's great at serving as a store of value asset. And especially in an environment where we've seen just tremendous volatility of interest rates over the last year, driven by the Fed and its rate hiking cycle, to put a lot of downward pressure on bond valuations, on fixed income valuations. And a lot of questions I've gotten from asset owners, asset managers, institutional clients, pension clients, et cetera, is how do we rethink our asset allocation, our risk taking, and what can we add to the portfolio to provide diversification without giving up too much risk exposure? And I think gold has been a great complement towards that struggling fixed income sleeve of a lot of institutional investor portfolios over not just the last year or so, but really over the last five to seven years, as we've seen, again, gold serving as that low correlating asset, that source of portfolio diversification against risk assets on the equity side or other uh, financial asset side that maybe have a higher risk weighting or higher volatility. But again, it does contribute in an efficient manner, similar to how bonds have historically into your portfolio. And I think that's only grown in recognition and grown in usage, as we've seen Again, money flows going into the gold market increase over the last few years. And I do think that's been sort of a paradigm shift in terms of portfolio construction that investors are shifting towards. You know, it can serve as sort of that capital preservation tool, keeping up with inflation, providing that diversification. That's liquid asset is another aspect of, of gold that's often overlooked. You know, its liquidity is very deep and, you know, trades a, a significant amount on the OTC, the over-the-counter market for gold every single day. So, I think if you're looking for a long-term diversifying asset that can keep up with inflation, you know, provide stability for your portfolio diversification, as well as tremendous liquidity, which only increases when we see volatility increase with the gold market. For example, March of 2020, we saw obviously a breakdown of liquidity in the capital markets, you know, gold liquidity maintained. So again, it is a great source of liquidity from that standpoint. So summarizing you know how to think about gold from a portfolio utility standpoint again risk management and capital preservation are qualities that i apply towards gold especially that may be applicable towards insurance investors specifically and that's really helpful and, and, and your idea the concept of taking up less risk space than it is allocation right 
That's an interesting concept. And so just kind of keeping my CIO hat on for a minute, insurance company's largest asset class, almost always, is investment-grade fixed income, right? And inflation deteriorates or erodes the value of those bond portfolios. And so at the same time, inflation ramps up the value of future liabilities. So insurance companies have a double-edged sword when they're faced with inflation. The question I guess I'd come out of that is, is gold a good inflation hedge? And is it, I kind of tack on to that, is there, for example, a workers' comp carrier's got medical inflation to deal with when they're caring for patients over long periods of time. Health insurance have the same thing. So are there aspects of inflation that gold is a better hedge than other aspects? If that's, I don't know if that helps or hurts, but give it a try. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this question specifically is one of my most favorite uh, misconceptions about gold that I often bring up with clients and investors. Gold tends to be associated as a pure inflation hedge. And again, that's a misnomer in terms of title. I think if you're looking to hedge specifically price inflation through indices like CPI index or the PCE index, there are other instruments that are specifically designed to keep up with that at a very high correlation. As measured in terms of gold as a price inflation hedge, it does a great job during the very extremes of significantly high inflation, as well as on the flip side, significant deflation. And great examples over the history in the U.S. that we've seen of that happening is during the Great Depression, where we saw prices fall by two-thirds, gold actually was appreciated during that period. So that was a period of historically significant deflation. On the flip side, in the 1970s, during the stagflationary period over that decade, we saw obviously inflation hit uh, double digits in the U.S. as well as around the globe. And gold, again, uh, saw a very strong performance at protecting against that extreme. So I think Gold does a great job of protecting against the extremes of price instability on both sides of the spectrum, inflation and deflation. The issue is that a lot of times we're spending most of the time in markets in that middle ground. And when you compare gold's overall inflation beta as measured from a price index standpoint like CPI, you know it keeps up broadly with a, a diversified stock bond portfolio, but there are other assets that have a higher correlation or higher beta to purely price inflation. But that's not how I really define gold in terms of its inflation hedge characteristics, because a lot of time is spent on price inflation. And I understand it's hugely important for insurance CIOs that you know, focus from cost of living adjustments. But a another risk to their uh, portfolios that's often overlooked that I think is beginning to get a lot more recognition as of late is the exposure to the U.S. dollar. And when you think about you know, inflation from a monetary standpoint, you know, what is monetary inflation's impact? to investor portfolios and positioning. That's really where I think gold stands you know, much more prominently over history because the way I, I try to summarize it, gold's not an inflation hedge, it's a store of value asset. And what it does is it broadly keeps up with price fluctuations over time in conjunction with depreciation and devaluation of currencies. And for investors in the US, that's most dominated by US dollar exposure. So when you think about gold, and its ability to protect against monetary inflation as translated to a weakening dollar or devaluation of a fiat currency, it does a tremendous job of keeping up with that as well with broadly price fluctuations over time. So that's the way I think about gold is not as a price inflation, but as a store value asset. And you can see that again, we mentioned central banks have been net buyers of gold for the last 13 years consecutively. 
I do think that, you know, again, the rationale for them to buy that is it's a great reserve asset. It has liquidity. It, you know, broadly can, you know, maintain its value over time. It doesn't have any counterparty hedge or credit risk hedge. And so I think, you know, from that standpoint, gold is a store value asset, you know, has that track record and, and it makes a lot of intuitive sense given its characteristics. So that's how I summarize you're really gold as a quote unquote inflation hedge. That's a bit of a misnomer, really stemming from the late 70s, early 80s, when we saw double digit inflation develop markets. And we saw the gold price rally to an all time high at that point of about 800 US dollars. But really what was happening then was we saw interest rates fall deeply negative because of high inflation. And that's what sparked gold much more dramatically. So when you look over the long term track record, gold has a great history of providing a store value of preserving purchasing power and spending power uh, over strategic periods. And I think that's a great way to apply gold for asset allocation purposes amongst uh, institutional investors, insurance investors that are looking for, again, that that ballast in their portfolio that can you know, certainly protect against the shocks on a price inflation standpoint, but as well as protect against that risk of a weaker or a lower dollar alongside with preserving your spending power over the long run. That's really helpful. And, and I appreciate the distinction. So let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned other commodities briefly. How does gold differentiate itself from other commodity investments? Yeah, this is a, another common question I get because when you're looking at other commodities and just to summarize, what are those commodities? You're talking about the broad commodities that are often traded, they're liquid, investable, that includes really the energy sector, oil, natural gas, for example, the agricultural sector, which is made up of the softs such as coffee, as well as different uh, commodities on the agricultural side like wheat, corn, as well as the industrial metals and then precious metals. The industrial metals being most dominated by copper, aluminum, nickel, zinc, the likes of that, as well as steel. And then the precious metals, including gold, we have silver, platinum, and palladium. And amongst that list, which is, again, I didn't cover all those commodities, but you know, just amongst those sectors of commodities of energy, agriculture, industrial metals, and precious metals, gold really actually stands alone. It's a very unique commodity when you compare it to those peers. The reason being, again, going back to the, those demand sectors of gold I mentioned at the top of this conversation, when you look at what's the biggest driver for gold, what it's most geared towards, it's a very diversified source of demand. We have both cyclical and counter-cyclical sources of demand for gold that come online at different phases of a full market cycle or full business cycle. And when you compare that to most other commodities, they are much more highly geared towards the uh, growth cycle, the economic cycle, or even the industrial production cycle. So they tend to carry a much more high beta or correlation to rising growth towards increasing industrial production, manufacturing, as that makes intuitive sense. You know, when you need energy, you need oil, you need gas, you need inputs to produce goods and, and services. And so that does carry a much highly geared exposure to growth and, and output from that standpoint. Gold is a little bit more unique in terms of its biggest source of demand is jewelry. Now that does have growth sensitivity, but it's much more highly levered towards the consumer less so industrial uses. So when you compare it to, say, you know, copper, copper is going to be much more applied in terms of sources of demand every year to the industrial cycle. You know, gold a little bit more less sensitive to that. Additionally, gold has source of demand of investment of about 30% every year. 
And when you compare that, you know, that's very much a countercyclical source of demand compared to the cyclical source of demand for jewelry or technology demand for gold. And so when you put these cyclical and countercyclical source of demand together, that's what creates that low correlation. Now, back to the example of other commodities, again, they are primarily used or consumed as inputs or end products for consumption. And so they tend to be much more highly volatile, much more geared towards the overall outlook for global growth, and they are less really sensitive towards that countercyclical ballast of investment demand, especially when you compare to gold and its investment characteristics. So you know, gold really stands apart from the traditional, uh, more broad-based commodities in terms of you know, gold really isn't consumed. It's repurposed, but it's extracted. But you know, a lot of gold is either used for fabrication in, in jewelry or technology and then, and then is recycled back into the supply chain or it's cast into bars and coins and, and put into vaults or storage for investment purposes. So again, it has a different dynamic compared to the traditional commodity that may be consumed at the breakfast table or as an input for transportation on your commute to your job every day. So it's a, a little bit different way to think about gold, and that tends to stand out in terms of its overall performance, especially during periods of high volatility or market sell-offs. Gold tends to outperform, and, and broad commodities tend to underperform during periods of recession as overall growth output activity decreases during those periods, and gold tends to outperform as sort of a defensive store value asset or portfolio defensive asset during those periods of turmoil. So again, that's the key difference between gold and other traditional commodities. You know, I did mention that gold has a little bit lesser sensitivity from a price inflation standpoint. But again, I think that's only part of the difference between gold and other broad commodities. So yes, broad commodities may outperform gold on the upswing during expansionary periods, but they tend to more than underperform gold on the downswing on the other half of the cycle. So when you look at the full cycle perspective, you know, gold actually is a very different performing asset versus other traditional broad commodities. That's really interesting and helpful. Thank you. As an investor, right, as an institutional investor and as a personal investor, how can I invest in gold, particularly at scale? If I'm running a 10, 15, $25 billion insurance company portfolio, you know, in my allocation there, I need to be able to buy this as an institutional investor. So what are my options? And in I don't know if this is the right way to phrase this, but like, what's a, the most efficient way that I can get there? Yeah, I think when you're talking about investing at scale, particularly from an institutional investor standpoint, you know, there's a handful of options or strategies or, or vehicles that you can invest in to really capture the benefit of gold, the metal itself. You know, I think the best way really is, again, what we offer here at State Street, you know, we have, we're a ETF business and we have you know, physically backed gold ETFs as well as other competitor firms out there. And I think when you look at that structure, you know, these are liquid vehicles that have, you know, hold, you know, 50 plus billion dollars in assets that trade, you know, a billion plus, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, yeah, a billion plus per day on volume standpoint. You know, these are tremendously liquid you know, vehicles that, you know, have been utilized by investors at the institutional level, as well as down to the retail level. So I think that's, you know, one option is a, a you know, physically backed exchange traded fund or ETF that invests directly in physical bullion or physical metal itself for gold. Uh, you know, then another common way that, you know, a lot of institutional clients and investors I speak to that invest is through derivatives, you know, particularly the futures market. But again, that carries additional uh, considerations beyond just a pure long exposure to the metal, underlying metal itself through a fund like an ETF. When you're looking at futures, obviously you have the big issue for gold specifically being, you know, the roll yield, you know, that negative roll yield. 
the issue because you know gold is often in contango. It's very rarely in sustained backwardation. And what that basically means is that when you have a futures contract or a derivative that you know matures or expires, you have to roll into that contract again. And because you know gold is very rarely in short supply, there's you know it's the feature of gold is that it's stored in vaults available to be brought to the market as a store of value asset. You know that tends to be very rarely in backwardation. So you're going to most likely have a negative roll yield from a futures position. When you add on top of that, the spot return of the, or the commodity return for, for gold. And additionally, you have the collateral yield, which is increased. And obviously, recently with the Fed increasing interest rates, when you put all this together again, different considerations of, of how to gain exposure to the gold price, the gold commodity itself. And then additionally, there are other vehicles out there that you know, don't have direct exposure to gold. You know, for example, gold mining equities or, or funds that invest in strategies like that you know, is, is one option. Again, certainly a valid option. From an investor standpoint, but I like to point out that you know there is a distinction between equities that invest in natural resource or mining operations that are mining gold versus gold and metal itself. The biggest being that at the end of the end, the end of the day, those are equity investments. They carry equity factor risks and tend to perform like equities. Gold again performs like gold itself. It has that low correlation, that protection against sustained drawdowns during tail events that we have in the marketplace, as well as that diversifier aspect for portfolios. So when you're looking at the gamut of how to invest at scale for gold, I think those are really the, the most common vehicles in conversations I have with clients and investors being you know, funds like ETFs that invest directly in physical bullion that are vaulted, large uh, bullion bank vaults in different areas around the globe, derivatives markets, particularly the futures markets. Uh, you can throw in swap contracts in there without getting too technical. But again, there's all other considerations around costs and trading costs, holding costs, as well as you know, exposures of managing those you know, positions that it does take into account other skills and other active management to uh, you know, maintain those exposures over time. So, as well as alongside with those those uh, other equity like strategies for the the mining side of things. So that's how I really I think about it from an insurance or institutional standpoint. The biggest vehicles that would be uh, viable options. Uh, from my personal standpoint, I think the best option if you're looking to gain investment exposure is through an ETF fund like we have at State Street. But I do think you know that provides ongoing liquidity, an easy way to trade on the secondary market with ease, as well as you know, keeping a very low tracking error to the price of gold over time. So I think if you're looking to gain exposure to the gold metal itself, the bullion, to benefit from its investment characteristics, I do think that you know an ETF, a physically backed ETF like the ones we have at State Street, are some of the better options from a liquidity cost efficiency standpoint, especially for large institutional investors. But you know, again, we have a, a large amount of intermediary investors and retail investors that leverage our products as well. Outstanding. I've learned so much on this podcast. I really have. I've, I loved it. I've got one more question for you, and this is new for 2023. This is, I got some feedback that said, stop asking people about their 21-year-old selves and ask something new. So here we go. Who would you like to most have lunch with, alive or dead? That is a good question. Who would I like to have lunch with, alive or dead? Again, I mentioned at the top, I'm a big baseball fan, big Yankee fan. Would love to maybe have a round table with some uh, of those baseball greats in the Yankee organization. You know, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, just sort of pick their brain. I think it'd be an entertaining conversation with those players. But would love to, you know, open it up to other baseball greats, Hank Aaron, Jackie Robinson, 
as well as you know going all the way back to the days of uh, Hannes Wagner, uh, early days of baseball. Wow, um, I think go. that might be interesting. Yeah, I grew up in St. Louis, and it's a hell of a baseball town too, right? I mean, you know, Lou Brock was my guy. I was left-handed. Lou Brock was left-handed, and uh, that's all it took for me. I was I was hooked. But listen, Max, thanks for being on. I learned a lot about the gold market. I learned a lot about the characteristics and and how to think about it. And uh, I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time and for being on. Absolutely, Stuart. Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Max Gold, head of gold strategy at State Street Global Advisors. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for podcasts, please shoot me a note at podcast at insuranceaum.com. If you like us, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. We certainly appreciate it. My name's Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast. Oh,